This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 1, from verse 12 to 26. Philippians chapter 1, from verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Well, good morning. Uh, Let me add my welcome to you this morning. It's lovely to see you. If it is your first time in Aberdeen, uh, we are finding it a bit chilly here. We're hoping the weather improves Uh, this week, but it's good to see you. Um, As Johnny mentioned, we've just started a study in the book of Philippians. This is our second week. Uh, We're in chapter 1, and as Joanna has just read the passage, verses 12 to 26. Paul's letter to the Philippians has been described as a love letter to the church at Philippi, located in Macedonia, which is part of Greece. And uh, his warmth and love for this church just radiates uh, throughout the letter. Um, Look at uh, verse 7 of chapter 1. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We were reminded last week of um, Paul's love and warmth for this church and that Paul's warmth and love was especially vibrant because of their partnership in the gospel. Even whilst facing opposition and persecution, we read that the church at Philippi were striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Johnny also reminded us last week that Paul encouraged the church to pray 
for the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would press on with each other in gospel partnership. And so uh, Paul opens this letter by emphasizing the need for God's people to put the gospel first, to put the gospel first. And Paul continues this theme in our passage today. Now, when we come to our passage, Paul gives the, the church at Philippi, he gives them a report, a brief report on how their partnership and their prayers uh, were helping to advance the gospel. And that's the heading of our study today, the advance of the gospel. And this must have been such an encouragement to the church to read Paul's letter. Uh, the word advance, it carries the idea of a pioneer advance, a strategic advance, pioneering into new territory. Um, it's a military picture. And uh, for example, uh, you might think about the, the royal engineers uh, going in ahead of the troops to prepare the ground um, for the advance, you know, whether that's building bridges or clearing roads or setting up communications. And then the troops follow in the advance. That's the picture. That's the, that's the idea. And Paul here, through God's plan, is pioneering an advance of the gospel into new territory, into the very heart of the Roman Empire, no less, the very heart of it. Now, now one of the key themes coming out of our passage today is this, that what looks like adversity to us, God uses to advance the gospel. Let me repeat that. What looks like adversity to us, God uses to advance the gospel. Paul picks up on this theme in verse 12. He writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? This is a reference to Paul's circumstances, the circumstances that he finds himself in. Brings us to our first point. Um, if, if you could click on to the next slide. Thank you, Samuel. So our first point here, we must look beyond our circumstances and see God-given gospel opportunity. Now, if you were to read through this letter to the Philippians, and it wouldn't take you long, you would discover that one of the key words in this letter is the word joy. Something like 19 times Paul mentions joy or rejoice, or gladness. This, this letter is just full of joy. But what is most unusual is that Paul's circumstances were far from joyful. Paul is writing from prison. Um, he, he's writing in chains, probably chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, there is some debate, but the general consensus is that Paul is in prison in Rome. 
uh, strategically the most important city on the planet at that time. The very heartbeat of the Roman Empire. And the gospel is advancing. Paul writes, what has happened to me? What happened to Paul to get him to Rome? Well, if you read the closing chapters of the book of Acts, you'll discover um, what had happened to Paul. He had been falsely accused. He had been illegally arrested in the temple in Jerusalem. He had been the subject of a plot to kill him. More than 40 men had taken an oath not to eat or drink until Paul was dead. He had been imprisoned for two years at Caesarea. From there he appealed to Caesar for his case to to be heard by the court of Caesar. And then en en route to Rome he was shipwrecked. And when he made it ashore he was even bitten by a snake. Now he finds himself chained in Rome awaiting trial at the court of Caesar under the threat of execution. And despite the adversities of his circumstances, he writes a letter that is full of joy. Now, this is not a joy that is found in this world. There is something different about this joy, and and we'll discover the source of Paul's joy. But Paul looks beyond his circumstances, knowing that God is in control. This is all part of God's plan, and he recognizes that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, we know that God sometimes uses adversity to advance the gospel. And so it's important that we look beyond our circumstances to see a God who is sovereign And the God who is working out his gospel purposes through his church and through you. What has happened to me, says Paul? What about you? What has happened to you? What are your circumstances today in life? I'm sure there are many here facing challenging, uncertain circumstances. A recent health diagnosis that has turned your world upside down. Financial job insecurity that is causing restlessness and anxiousness in your life. You can't think about anything else. Problems in the family that you never in your wildest dreams anticipated. Perhaps your circumstances could be used to serve the gospel, to advance the gospel. To draw you into a deeper relationship with God. That even unbeknown to you, your witness through these difficult circumstances, is speaking powerfully to someone who is observing your manner of life, your faith in Jesus Christ. And rest in this thought that whatever your circumstances are today, that God 
is in control. God is in control. Now, Paul's joy in life was not determined by his circumstances, but by his relationship with Jesus Christ. That is where true joy is found, living with and for Jesus Christ. I wonder if you have that in your life today. So the gospel is advancing in Rome, in the very heart of the empire. A couple of months ago, I was uh, privileged to to visit a Christian ministry in Indonesia. Uh, That ministry was focused on sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with the Islamic community in that country. Now, I didn't know a huge amount about Indonesia before I, I went there, but Indonesia has a population of 280 million people. It is the fourth most populated country in the world. 80% Islamic, it is controlled by an Islamic government. Now, sharing the gospel in that country is dangerous. It can lead to prison, uh, persecution. Talk about adverse conditions. This is a country that is hostile and hardened to the gospel. And yet, what did I find when I visited that ministry? I found a group of Christians in gospel partnership with God and with each other. An advance of the gospel in a strategically important country. That that one ministry has seen over 700,000 people come to faith in the last few years. They have a vision to see 6 million people saved in the next five years. They have put the gospel first. God is at work in that country. What would we give To see the gospel advance like that in our community. Would we be prepared to give ourselves? Even to suffer adversity. Now our second point brings us to verses 13 to 14. Chains are no obstacle to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chains are no obstacle to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in these two verses, Paul points to two pieces of evidence to show how God has used his circumstances to advance the gospel. Look at verse 13. First of all, Paul says through his imprisonment, Paul has had the opportunity to witness to the whole imperial guard and to the officials of Caesar's court. Let's look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard were the elite forces of the Roman army. They were Caesar's special bodyguard, 9,000 strong, I understand. The equivalent of the SAS, I guess. And Paul was most probably chained to a soldier from the Imperial Guard um, in six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. That's four four 
soldiers, seven days a week. What would Paul talk about uh, as he was chained to, to one of these soldiers? I'm sure he talked about many things, but I am certain he would have talked about Jesus. And soon word spread throughout the whole palace guard that Paul was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And the gospel advanced. Out of adversity, the gospel advanced. People came to faith at the very heart of the Roman Empire. Just just look at how Paul closes his letter in chapter 4, verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. People believed, even in Caesar's household, they believed that Jesus was God, not Caesar. They believed that Jesus died for their sins on the cross. They believed that God raised Jesus to life. They believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. They were saved in Caesar's household. The power of the gospel. You see, chains were no obstacle to the power of the gospel of God. Paul was bound. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 that the word of God is not bound. It cannot be bound. Paul's chains were the very symbol of Roman power. They were meant to restrict him. But neither Rome nor Rome's chains could restrict the power of the gospel. This is what God is doing through one man in adverse circumstances. Do we really believe the power of the gospel? Do we really believe in its power? Do we write people off rather than share the gospel with them? Do do we think that they would never be interested in Jesus Christ? You know, I mentioned uh, my trip to Indonesia to visit that ministry. And I met one of the leaders of that ministry... And before he came to faith in Jesus Christ, before he became a Christian, he was the fourth highest Al-Qaeda operative in that country. He had been responsible for church bombings, for killing people. And somebody shared the word of God with him. Somebody was prepared to read the Bible with that man. They didn't know his background, but they were prepared to read the word of God with that man. He started to read the Bible for himself, and he came to faith. The word of God is not bound. Now, the second piece of evidence that Paul presents here is not only his witness to the imperial guard, but look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Without fear. Paul's chains actually liberated others in the church. Isn't that amazing? Paul's boldness in prison emboldened a majority of Christians to speak the word. Now the word speak is just conversational speaking. 
to tell others about Jesus Christ without fear. Without fear. Johnny's already mentioned a couple of times that this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the best news in the world. That this is the most powerful, life-transforming, the most joyful news that there is in this entire world. The good news of Jesus Christ. But we too can be chained. We can have chains that restrict our gospel effectiveness. Not physical chains like Paul. But we are chained by various things in our lives that restrict us from being gospel partners. Chains that can limit our effectiveness in gospel witness. Maybe the chain of fear. Uh, fear of rejection or, or, or fear of standing against the culture. Fear of opposition. It may be the fear of identity. You're, you're happy to be identified with Jesus on a Sunday and, and whilst you're surrounded with other Christians, but at work or at school or at university or on the campus. Not so much. It may be the chain of friends or of family who are hostile to your faith in Jesus Christ, which makes those relationships challenging. Paul's example reminds us that chains are no obstacle to the power of the gospel. The third point brings us to verses 15 through to 17. When the gospel advances, expect conflict. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Here is conflict within the Christian community. People are divided over Paul. There were those who thought that Paul, through his appeal and through his imprisonment, had brought the gospel into ill repute. Perhaps they thought Paul was hot-headed. Perhaps they thought he was a bit of a loose cannon. He was maybe full of his own self-importance. But there were those who um, opposed Paul and thought he had brought the gospel into ill repute. There were others who saw God's hand, God's working behind it all, behind Paul's imprisonment and supported him. Now we read that both groups were preaching, were active preaching the gospel and they preached a true gospel. They preached Christ. There's no thought of of heresy here, but it's their motives for preaching the gospel that were very different. Look at um, verse 15. Those, those who opposed Paul, some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry. Now drop down to verse 17. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
Their motive for preaching the gospel was to promote their own ministry and to cause trouble for Paul in whatever shape or form that trouble was. I don't know. Then there were those who supported Paul. Verse 15, the the end of it. Others who were preaching Christ from goodwill. Look at verse 16. The latter, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. When the gospel advances, expect conflict. And the sad thing is, and the not uncommon thing, is that this conflict was within the church and not outside the church. We can expect satanic activity, trying to cause disunity within. How did Paul respond to this? Well, it brings us to our fourth and final point. An advance of the gospel requires God's people to put Christ and not self as their chief concern. Paul was not concerned with himself. Uh, He was not concerned with his circumstances. He was not concerned about whether he would be released or his reputation. His chief concern was for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. What then, says Paul, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, as we come to this final section in verses 19 to 26, there are three things about Paul that we would do well to follow his final example. First of all, his conviction by which he lived his life. Look at verse 21. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For Paul, his life was Christ. He lived to serve Jesus. It meant a life devoted to ministry. Look at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, says Paul, that means fruitful labor for me. To die was to be with Christ forever, which, says Paul, is far better. This is the hope of the Christian. The certain hope. That's why Christians don't sorrow as others. Because death is to be with Christ. Now what do you do with a Christian who lives with that conviction in his soul? You can't silence someone like that. To kill them is actually, in their eyes, the best thing that you could do. Because it's to put them into the presence of Jesus Christ. Paul's conviction, for to me to live is Christ. What is your conviction? What is your conviction in life? For to me to live is, what is it? Money? Health? Family? Paul's conviction. Secondly, Paul had a certainty that anchored 
his soul. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, I know he was, he was certain that this will turn out for my deliverance. What deliverance is Paul speaking about here? Well, I think from the context, I don't think he's merely speaking about being delivered from prison. Uh, the very next verse, Paul goes on to talk about life or death, whether by life or death. He, he doesn't know how this will go. And he is talking about a greater deliverance. He is talking about his, his ultimate vindication by God. He's not interested in the Roman court, but on the heavenly court. He knows he will be vindicated by God. He is absolutely certain of it. But this, this next bit is, is wonderful. Just look at how Paul describes how this deliverance will be achieved. This is so encouraging. Paul says it will be achieved through your prayers. This is the power of prayer. The power of a praying church. Through your prayers and, says Paul, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, for Paul, that means the presence of Jesus with him. And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is linked to the prayers of God's people. Their prayers have been answered. Their prayers have helped Paul in his imprisonment because Paul has known the strengthening presence of Jesus with him through his adversity in prison. This is why it is a privilege, um, a necessity to pray for our mission partners. To pray for anyone uh, from this church who is involved in gospel mission. Whether it is through our weekly activities, involved in mother and toddlers, or, or, or mainly music, or um, the, the, the boxing outreach. Or whether on Sunday services here, prayer is the engine room to an advance of the gospel. Thirdly, his choice, his conviction, his certainty, his choice. Paul chose to put the gospel first. And we see that in these closing verses. Look at verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two. He's speaking about life or death. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Paul doesn't know what to choose. To live or to die and be with Christ. But from his point of view, his desire is to be with Christ. That is far better. That's what Paul clearly says in verse 23. But here is the real lesson from these closing verses. That Paul doesn't make decisions on the grounds of what is best for him. 
He makes decisions on what is best for the gospel. And what is best for his gospel partners. And that's what we see in verses 24 and 25. Because he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's the point. Paul makes decisions on the basis of what is best for the gospel and for his gospel partners. How do you make decisions in life? Does the gospel enter into your decision making? How you manage your finances? Would you ever make a decision about a job or a career on the basis that it would give you a better opportunity to serve the Lord in the gospel? The decision of how, as a parent, I will raise my family. Does the gospel, does the church come into your thinking about decisions in life? Do we choose to put the gospel first? Do we want to see an advance of the gospel in our community, in our city? Are we prepared to look beyond our circumstances to see God-given gospel opportunities, even in adversity? Are we prepared to break the chains that limit our gospel partnership and vision? Are we prepared for conflict even within the church? And will we choose to put the gospel first? May God bless his word. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we bow in worship before you as the sovereign God who is over all. We thank you for the infinite power of your gospel We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who reveals, equips, and empowers. Lord, help us to put your gospel first in our lives. We pray for an advance of the gospel in our city. We pray, Father, that you would work in all of our hearts, that we might be gospel partners with you and with each other. Speak to us today. Remember, too, the children today, we pray that you would speak into their lives, that you would raise a generation to serve you. We ask all of this for your glory according to your will and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.